Bookcraft is pleased to present the series Jesus of Nazareth by Dr. Truman G. Madsen. This recording, the first of the series, is titled The Shepherd and the Lamb. The Shepherd and the Lamb. For nearly three years, our privilege was to live near the crest of the Mount of Olives, which merges into what is now called the Mount Scopus. And just over the hill to the east is a shepherd flock, a Bedouin tent made of goat's hair, and a family who raise sheep and goats. Almost daily we have walked by, driven by, and in a couple of instances sat down with and discussed shepherding with these people who are direct descendants of the ancient patterns maybe 4,000 years old. They are doing today many of the same things Abraham did way back in history. Combining that with a long conversation with a Hebrew expert who taught me the 23rd Psalm in Hebrew and with a pouring over of the life of Christ as the Good Shepherd. I'm now going to combine things that we see but don't see. And in one swath, I hope to testify not only of Christ as Shepherd, but of his calling to us to be shepherds. In the book of Ezekiel, we read the following indictment of the shepherds of Israel. The word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Prophesy and say unto them, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have ye healed that which was sick, neither have ye bound up that which was broken, neither have ye brought again that which was driven away, neither have ye sought that which was lost. But with force and with cruelty have ye ruled them, and they were scattered because there is no shepherd, and they became meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. Now that judgment of the failure of ancient shepherds is in a way a prophecy, for it is the case that in the meridian of time there came into the world a shepherd who in fact did all of the things that he had said they did not do. We notice first as we look out over the Judean wilderness that shepherding is a grimy and difficult and sometimes lonely task. A family lives together in that tent. A family takes responsibility even as early as age four or five the boys and girls, the sons and daughters are made responsible for the flock. Now our image in America is often of the merry little lamb whose fleece is white as snow. And there are such green and verdant pastures in England and in other countries. But in Israel today, shepherding is on a very limited and even grimy pasture 
The sheep herder, we often say, is a man who is isolated and is in a gritty, difficult task. A shepherd, we say, based on our tradition, is an ideal figure. Well, in fact, they are the same thing. And people who aspire to deal with a flock of living sheep must do their share. And the fleece may be as black as tar. To pick up, for example, a sheep or a lamb in the pattern we're promised. Remember, for example, the lyrics of the song we sing, perverse and foolish, have I strayed, and yet in love he found me, and on his shoulders gently laid, and home rejoicing brought me. Well, to lay a sheep on your shoulders is to take on a heavy load, first of all, and also to do something that is not pleasant. We learn second that the flocks do know their shepherd, even though occasionally they bolt. There's a wonderful Jewish legend about a little boy who is a shepherd. One day, away from the crowd, he cries out, but illiterate as he is and small, he doesn't know Hebrew, so he cannot read from the official prayer book and therefore technically cannot pray. Anyway, he says, Oh Lord, I should like to pray, but I cannot read Hebrew. There is only one thing I can do for you. If you would give me your sheep, I would take care of them for nothing. A learned man, a rabbi, overhears the boy and rebukes him and accuses him of blasphemy. But that night, the rabbi has a dream and is told that he has caused sadness in heaven and told, you leave that little boy alone. His prayers reached through the gates of heaven. Yours did not. Well, the insight is that a shepherd needs to know very little. He needs to know where the forage is. He needs to know his sheep. And beyond that, what else? Well, everyone we have talked to in Israel has assured us that a good shepherd is aware not only of the number of his flock, so that he could in fact count, but he is individually aware. That is, though they look alike to us, each has distinctive face and features, even a distinctive sound. And therefore, they give their sheep pet names, and they know them one by one. And if one is missing, then the shepherd is in distress and seeks to find him. Which leads to another Jewish legend relating to Moses. Once while Moses was in charge of Jethro's sheep, a lamb ran away from the flock. Moses pursued it, but he could not overtake it. Suddenly, the 
lamb reached a spring of water and halted to drink. And when Moses approached, he perceived what had occurred and said, It was because of thirst that you ran off, and I did not understand. How worn out you must be. Then he lifted the lamb and carried it back in his arms all the way. And the voice of the Lord came, saying, What compassion hast thou shown toward the flock of flesh and blood? This is my oath, that thou shalt be the shepherd for my flock Israel. Well, the man like unto Moses, though that's a type of many great figures, was Jesus. And Jesus was the shepherd who was filled with compassion. We notice, too, as we watch the sheep, that they are led all over the mountains. That is, even up to the doors or edges of buildings in the city. And thus the old meets the new. We notice that a shepherd has a distinctive sound and that he can make it at will. It combines, uh, since most of the shepherds are of Arabic tradition, combines the ein sound, a deep kind of sound in backward in the mouth, but also occasionally a whistle. And the moment they make that sound, which pierces the air, all the sheep, wherever they are, lift their heads and look toward the shepherd. He may simply stand there with their attention for a moment, or he may start to walk. And that, for them, is the sign. And they begin to walk and follow him. So, as the shepherd knows the sheep, the sheep know the shepherd. And so Jesus says in the great parable of John 10, My sheep know my voice. I am known of mine. Our own Orson F. Whitney has observed that, of course, one cannot recognize a voice that he has never heard. And he concludes that just as the scriptures say, we all knew, understood, and loved the Master before we entered mortality. We were all present in the Grand Council, said the Prophet Joseph Smith. We saw the Savior chosen and appointed and the plan of salvation made, and we sanctioned it. Well, that sanction, though we have presently forgotten it, is locked within us under amnesia. But the voice of the shepherd, and he says occasionally, my spirit is truth, my voice is spirit, that voice has reverberations deep within us that cannot be accounted for by any experience we have had on the earth. We do know the shepherd. We observe also that men in uh, the process of shepherding can proceed in two main ways. They can be leaders and thus walk ahead of the flock, or they can, as it were, nip at the heels. Both processes are at work in the world, 
But the lesson drawn by ancient prophets is that we should be willing to follow without needing the prod, the rod or the staff, which occasionally are used to poke or turn or jar, rather than that and the afflictions that sometimes are necessary to awaken us to our need to follow, we should follow by persuasion. Just as the ancient shepherds had been cruel and harsh, the shepherd of shepherds was persuasive, long-suffering, and gentle. And in the words of Victor Hugo, the true shepherd does not recoil from the diseases of his sheep. He soothes or heals. We learn, too, in the Holy Land that as there is forage and land, there is also stone, barren stone. But here, too, lessons of security. Modern revelation has the Savior say, Fear not, little children. Ye are of them that my Father hath given me. And none of them that my Father hath given me shall be lost. Wherefore, I am in your midst, and I am the good shepherd and the stone of Israel. And then this line. He that buildeth upon this rock shall never fall. We note that the Bedouin are on constant watch. Occasionally two or three will be together and will chat or even play or perhaps uh, converse on serious matters of learning. But they have constant signals and though the sheep may be out of uh, immediate access, they constantly are aware. They are, as it were, always within their peripheral vision. There is such a thing as intensive care of the flock, and they have it. Now, in the parable of the Good Shepherd, we read that the Good Shepherd is the door of the sheepfold. Interestingly, the modern translation of that is the door of his sheepfold. His possessive. Sheepfolds in the Holy Land can vary from a grove of trees to a makeshift kind of fence, often uh, with briars at the top. And at night, the shepherd leads the flock back to the fold. Now the word night conjures for us the reality of darkness. And darkness, in an era when there were only olive oil lamps, and when there were no search lights, arc lights, or the illumination of windows at a distance, there could be deep fear and insecurity. On top today of the Mount of Olives is a rather extensive grove of pine trees which incline in their growth to the east because of a prevailing wind. To drive through that at night, where except for the headlights there is no light, is a frightening experience. We do it 
quickly. There's something sinister and threatening about it. Well, you recall in the parable, or rather in the psalm that we read in 23rd Psalm, there's a phrase everyone knows by heart. Though I pass through the valley of the shadow of death. But in Hebrew, the exact translation would be closer to this. Though I walk through the valley of deepest darkness, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. The Good Shepherd spoke of himself as the light that shineth in darkness. And he added, And the darkness comprehendeth it not. And that can mean two things. It can mean that others, more or less darkened in their perception, do not understand or recognize him. But it can also mean, and does so in the Greek, I am the light that shineth in darkness, and the darkness extinguisheth it not. Which is to say that no one is in total darkness, that the light continues to shine regardless of the surroundment of darkness. And that is the promise of those who would be led through and out of darkness. The lamb, especially a larger lamb, has to kneel to take milk. Is this, we wondered, a symbol of filial devotion? Or are we being taught humility? There's an old saying that one must place himself where he really is, namely below God, to receive of God. That, another way to say it is, water does not flow uphill, neither does milk. And so the imagery first of the lamb who sets the example and of the lamb that leads that both combine in modern scripture. In Jesus' time, the Jewish tradition had established the idea of a scapegoat. Now, his parables distinguish the sheep from the goats and sometimes speak of the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left goes back to an ancient idea that somehow the right hand is to bless and the left to forbid. Well, the scapegoat was an actual goat brought during the time of atonement and by the laying on of hands, an official act, the sins of Israel were, according to their belief, transferred to the goat and the goat was then sent out into the wilderness sometimes the idea was that it would simply wander until it was lost and by that process purge Israel sometimes they actually pushed the goat over a cliff and it instantly died and thus took with its death the sins of Israel the idea of such vicarious assistance is deep in the Old Testament and in fact lives even to this day 
in a doctrine which is uh, called the doctrine of the merit of the fathers. The idea being that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, who were distinguished and even unique in their righteousness, had come so close to God that they might invoke the blessing of God upon their posterity. And so there are official prayers still offered in synagogue and sometimes in the home that invoke the blessings of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and of their wives and say, in effect, may the merit of the fathers be a blessing to us. This suggests the idea that one can, to a degree, but only to a degree, serve or bless others. And that, of course, is the background of Jesus himself offering himself to take upon him not only sins, but tendencies to sins, not only those, but temptations and afflictions, and finally to take upon himself death. And even here, one must add an S, because there is the death of the body, which through Christ's own resurrection all mankind will overcome. There is also the plural deaths that occur in the body as a result of sin and transgression. We slowly die as we partake of the poisons of sin. We die intellectually, we die emotionally, we die in our creative powers and often die in our ability to relate well and certainly in love to others. Those deaths were also to be overcome through Christ the scapegoat. So the honorific title Lamb is matched by the sometimes painful title Goat, a word we still use in a negative way. And Jesus condescended to the role and mission of both.